As we come this morning, we want to take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, so that we might look at the practice and priority of prayer. As we come this morning, I want to tell you a story about one man named Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to China, and he was a diligent worker for God's kingdom. One day while he was in China, he was traveling on a boat from Shanghai to Ningpo, He had been witnessing to a young man named Peter who was resisting the gospel message but seemed to be under great conviction by the Holy Spirit. In the course of events that day, Peter fell off of the boat and into the water. He struggled and clamored but was unable to surface. Taylor panicked when he saw that no one on the boat or on any of the boats nearby was going to make any effort to save this man named Peter. He sprang immediately to the mast, let down the sail, and jumped overboard in hopes of finding his friend. A fishing boat that was close by was was summoned by Taylor, and he tried to get them to let down their nets and to drag the area so that they might find Peter in time to save his life. The, to his uh, dismay, the fishing boat spent uh, some time with him haggling over how much money he would have to pay them in order for them to drag the area for the nets. Finally, after bargaining and bartering, he and him committing to surrendering a large sum of money, which was every penny that he had upon that trip, finally, the fishing boat drugged the area. Within a minute, they were able to find Peter and to pull him out of the water. But to the horror and dismay of Hudson Taylor, they found that he was dead. How horrible. What a tragedy that those fishermen were so busy working that they did not have time to save the life of a man who was there at there within their opportunity. What a tragic story this is of how callous and self-centered these fishermen must have been to realize that a man was drowning nearby and yet to be more concerned about their profit, about their pay, about how much their financial gain was going to be for the day than being concerned about the life of another human being. But before we cast stones and condemn these fishermen, We need to take the log out of our own eye. For indeed, how concerned are we with the fact that people all around us are perishing without Jesus Christ? How concerned am I within my personal life that people that I know, friends and family members, even foes, are dying and going to hell without the saving relationship, without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and King? Do I really care about more about my comfort, about my convenience, about my financial gain than I do about people dying without the Savior? Do I go on about my business day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, without even a thought? Those in our community who are dying without Christ are destined for hell. Indeed, is there anything that we can do? Why, yes, there is. And the first priority that Paul puts before the church is that we are to pray. We are to pray. 
But pastor, I thought you were going to tell me something I could do. I thought you were going to tell me I could go out and make a difference in the world. But I want you to understand the part that we need to understand. Paul begins and says, listen, the practice and priority of prayer within the Christian life is essential for the gospel going forward in the midst of our world. Prayer indeed is the primary communication tool that God has chosen to give his children to participate in the global mission of evangelism. Prayer will make a tremendous difference if in no one else, if in nothing else, it will make a tremendous difference in us and our priorities when we begin communicating with God about our partnership in his work of the gospel. Indeed, the amazing fact is that the sovereign God of the universe who has created everything has chosen to work in response to the prayers of his people. And so as Paul begins to tell Timothy how to order, how to conduct, how to structure, the local church body and the worship of God within the local church, he puts the first priority on what? Prayer. On our communication with God and on our participation with God in the global mission. In verse 1 he says, first of all, first of all, I want you to be people of prayer. Paul is not just talking about prayer in general. He is talking about the need for prayer as it relates to the salvation of the lost in particular. He is talking about evangelistic prayer. And he is exhorting the church in the practice and priority of evangelistic prayer within the worship of God's people. Listen, if you want to be a person of power within the kingdom of God, you need to be a person of prayer. And if you are not a person of prayer, I can assure you, you will never be a person of power for the witness of our Lord and Savior. We come today, we need to be people who understand the practice and priority of prayer. And let us stand now and read together from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and let us see the practice and priority of prayer within the life of the local church. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Telling the truth, I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith. And in truth, Father, we come to you now asking that your hand would be upon us, that you would give us wisdom and direction as we study this, your word. We ask that, Father, the the structure, uh, Father, of this local church would be according to the structure that you have revealed within the New Testament, that our priorities would be your priorities. And Lord, first and foremost, here within this passage, we see that there is a priority to be placed upon communicating with you so that we might be on the same plan, on the same mindset that you are on. And Father, so this morning we ask that you would show us the places where we have failed, show us our sin, show us your Savior, and Father, allow us increasingly to surrender. Father, 
to the work of your hand. Lord, in this time, we come to you, the Lord of the word, as we approach the word of the Lord. And Father, we ask that you would speak now, for your servants are listening. Speak now, for your servants are listening, in Jesus' name, amen. So we come this morning, we see in this passage that our hearts and our lives are to reflect God, our Savior's heart, in the practice and priority of prayer in our lives and the life of our congregation. Our hearts and lives are to reflect God, our Savior's heart, as we have a great concern for those who are lost in our community, in our culture, in our world. We are to practice and put a priority upon prayer within our lives and within our congregation so that we might then join in participating with God in the plan of redemption that is going forth to tell the gospel to all the nations. And so as we come this morning, we should have such a burden for those who are perishing without Christ that we're driven to entreat God to act, who is our Savior, God who is our sustainer, that he would act that all people might be reached with the good news that there is a mediator who gave himself as a ransom for their sins. Does such a prayer pervade our church? Let me ask you, when was the last time you grabbed hands with somebody that is sitting beside you, with somebody that's in your Sunday school class, with somebody that is a close personal friend and said, you know what, we are going to put a priority upon prayer within our life and within our church. We're going to pray for the salvation of all those around us. Does such prayer pervade your life? I must confess, I fall woefully short at this point. Indeed, I would guess that many of us here this morning fall woefully short. It's easy to become like those fishermen. It's easy to become so busy with our own interests and with our own things that we become indifferent to those that are, that are dying, that are drowning nearby and destined for hell. Indeed, our prayer life reveals much about the intensity of our concern. Our prayer life, your prayer life, my prayer life, reveals much about the intensity of our concern for God and His glorious gospel. Indeed, what you pray about and what you spend time upon and and how much you pray for God and His plan of of provision uh, in salvation reveals much about where your concerns lie and where my concerns lie. And I must admit this morning, that I come to preach this passage realizing there is a woeful shortfall in my life of committed prayer for those who are unbelievers all around me. And so as we enter into this passage this morning, that should be our background, that we are passionate for God to reach those who are unsaved and that we are praying passionately for them. And as we come into verses 1 and 2, we see there that we are to pray that all would be reached with the gospel. We are to pray that all would be reached with the gospel. Who are we to pray for? Let's try that one more time. Interactive here. Who are we to pray for? All. Some. A portion, a piece, my friends and my family, not my foes. No, all people. We are to pray for all people. Paul has just closed chapter 1 with a wonderful recitation that the gospel of Jesus Christ is to save sinners of whom he is the chief. But he understands that the purpose of God's gospel is to, be, is to save sinners 
to and bring them to salvation. And so he has warned us uh, there at the end of chapter one that there are at least two within the Ephesian church whose souls have been shipwrecked because they have not received the true gospel. And now he is turning and launching into the practice and priorities for worship within the local church structure. Paul exhorts Timothy and the church at Ephesus that a priority is to be placed on the lifeline of the local church in prayer and specifically in the priority of evangelistic prayer. That we would be praying for those who do not know him. Indeed, we, under, we need to understand as Christians that if we have no prayer, we have no power. If we have any power, it is because we have recognized the need of prayer within our life and our dependence upon our great God. Prayer is not just a nicety for God's people. It is a necessity for God's people. Indeed, God is not just a heavenly psychiatrist who is listening to all of our problems and helping us through the best he can. It is our lifeline by which we make known our request to God. It is a spiritual act of worship by which we communicate with our commander-in-chief. It is the spiritual walkie-talkie from the front lines of the battlefield which we are on to the throne of our king most high we can never never devalue the importance of prayer in our personal communication with with god so that he might change us and transform our hearts into his heart if we are participants in god's plan for this world we are to be praying in line with his plan in prayer our hearts become united with god and our desires become his desires in fact there in verse one paul uses four words to describe the prayers of god's people in line with god's plan he says here are four different ways for all the people to pray for all those who need salvation he says first of all make entreaties and prayers petitions and thanksgiving the entreaties mean that we are entreating god to act in the midst of our need in the midst of our sense of need we are asking for god to act sensing our lack we are calling upon god's sufficiency our impotence we are call in our impotence we are calling on god's omnipotence indeed we should be moved to pray when we look around and realize we can't control all the situations and circumstances of life, but we have a great high priest upon whom we can call and entreat him to act on our behalf. Secondly, he says prayer, and this term prayer is a general term by which we ask our ever-present needs of wisdom and godliness, repentance, and revival. We ask that God would work in the midst of our lives. Give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us repentance, give us revival, teach us how to live out the godly characteristics. These are the normal needs of the daily Christian life. The, The third word here is petitions, and petitions mean that we can freely converse with the king eternal about the needs within life it points to the fact that we can go freely before God at any time at any place or in anything to talk with him on behalf of ourselves or of others in other words this is a place where petitions are being made and that is the language where we come before the king who has the ability to change the circumstances and say God I am asking you I am calling out to you I'm crying out to you God, change what I can't do. Here's what I desire. Number four, he says, pray with thanksgiving. 
and thanksgiving denotes the gratitude that we are have that we are to have to God for His gracious provisions and answering uh, and providing His promises in our lives. The fact that He works within our lives to answer and provide for us, and so in all things we are to to live lives and to pray prayers that are entreaties that are prayer prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings to our great God. And the point of all these words is that we have different needs at different times in the course of our different lives. But at all times, each and every one of us need God, and therefore we need to pray. Not only do we need to pray uh, for all kinds of pray, but we need to pray all for all kinds of people. We need to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people, asking that God's hand would be seen within the midst of the world, asking that the gospel might go forward. Indeed, not only do we need to pray all, pray for all kinds of not only do we need to pray all kinds of prayers, but we need to pray for all kinds of people because no person is too far gone, too lost in sin, whom God's grace cannot reach out and touch. Nor is there any person so high and mighty in a position of governmental authority who does not need God's grace. All people are sinners by nature and by choice who need to know God as Savior. And the reality may be, maybe I can't talk to that person. Maybe I can't see that person. Maybe Maybe I can't talk to that person about God, but I can always talk to God about that person. That's a different way of seeing things, isn't it? Paul puts a priority on praying for those in political authority. Specifically, he would have been calling the church at Ephesus himself and Timothy to pray for a man who would be named Nero. You may recognize the name Nero. Cruel tyrant within the culture that Paul lived. In fact, this is the very same Nero who would end up putting to death both Peter and Paul a few years later. This is the very same Nero who would take Christians and cover them in pitch and tar and light them on fire and set them within his garden so that he might light his garden for his pleasure at night. Paul says, you don't need political revolution. You need what? Prayer. You need power from God to act on your behalf because you can't solve and and rectify this situation. He he calls upon the people not to practice political revolution, but to practice passionate praying. He calls them to a revival of prayer and supplication so that their lives of peace and godliness would manifest the gospel in a clear and practical way so that many people might come to know Jesus Christ. Indeed, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, remind us of this the place of priority within the life of the Christian when it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice let your gentle spirit be known to all men the lord is near be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus when you need a right understanding of the world when you need the situation solved that you're unable to solve, what are we to do? Pray. Listen, the devil can knock you no lower than your knees. He can never, never knock you any lower than your knees. 
And when you fall upon your knees before the throne of the Most High God, you are able to come boldly before His throne. As it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, you are able to come boldly before His throne in your time of need with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in those moments. Indeed, as we come this morning, we are people who need to be praying And by the way, just as a a side, we'll get to this a little more next week. But I want you to look down at verse 8 real quick. Men, who is supposed to be leading the local congregation in this prayer? Men, you need to step up and lead. First of all, in your personal private lives there in your house, you ought to be leading in passionate prayer for God to work within the midst of our community, within the midst of our culture, within the midst of our country, in the midst of this world, but also here within the church. Let me say it once again. Men, you are given the position of responsibility in leading in these things. Guys, just in case you don't want to come back next week, I wanted to get it in before you didn't come back to hear that. Guys, you are to be the spiritual leader. You are to lead in prayer. How do you pray in your personal prayers for leaders nationally and internationally? And I want to challenge you on this because I've heard it. I've heard it within this congregation, and it it really it breaks my heart. Well, I'm going to pray for political politically for president obama to fail listen i hope his policies fail i am absolutely open and unrepentant in that but here's the thing i pray daily because he is the president god has put in office at this time we need to pray for his wisdom for his understanding for his direction within life we need to pray for revival to sweep through our politicians because let me tell you the democrats aren't the only problem the republicans are too and it just doesn't matter what office you're in they're all corrupt Uh, that's my take on you don't have to take it if you don't want it but i do want to tell you there is a person that makes the difference and that person is god himself and he has given us a tool a technique to approach his throne named prayer and we ought to be making more use of it we ought to be more diligent in praying for our leaders listen we should not be people who pray political prayers of destruction but we should be people who pray for redemption for revival for peace so that the good uh, for the good of the gospel so that it might go forward and many might be saved i want you to be entreating and praying petitioning and giving thanks to god that all would come to a saving knowledge of jesus christ that's what paul says we are to pray in line with god's desire for all to be reached with the gospel. Secondly, and hopefully not quite so long, we'll look at verses 3 and 4. Our hearts are to be in line with God's desire. Our hearts are to be in line with God's desire. First of all, our prayers are to be in line with God's plan. But secondly, we see our hearts are to be in line with God's desire. These prayers to God for the salvation of all, regardless of character, regardless of class, regardless of condition, is good and acceptable before God because God's nature and character is to save the soul of sinners. Why? Because God's desires to see all of his created creatures who were formed and fashioned in his image come to salvation to know him as Lord. The Lord tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 
I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Now understand this, if our prayers are in line with God's desires, we will pray for the civil rulers so that there is peace, which allows the gospel to be preached and men to be saved, which is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who desires the salvation of who? All people. Now, that's a little bit of a theological conundrum for some of you. Because that comes to bear, and it makes us ask some hard questions. And indeed, we understand that some sitting here today are on the Reformed side of the fence, the Calvinistic side of the fence, and there are some who are on the Arminian side of the fence, and both of you look, and all that you want to use is this scripture to argue your side of the fence. Well, that's not the point of the passage at all, but I just want to take a moment to ask the question and, and come to under an understanding. First of all, if the will or if the desire of God is for all to be saved, then why doesn't he save them all? My answer to you from the pulpit of this church as pastor is yes, uh uh-huh. Good question. The reality is I am not able to be God because I am finite. He is infinite. I am mortal. He is immortal. And so we need to understand that there are some questions that are outside the realm of our reasoning. But we also need to understand that when we come to the text of Scripture, when our systems, we need to have a big T and a little S. A big T and a little S. And that just simply means that when we come to study the Bible, we let the text of God tell us what to believe in our little systems. The big T of the text of the Bible tells us what to believe within our little s, the systems of theological approach that we take to the Bible. Indeed, our approach is that we come to the Word of God, and instead of letting our theological systems tell us what the Word of God says, we let the Word of God inform what our theological system should be. Correct? Yes. Okay. We're, I'm glad you agree with that. Some of you are sitting there, and it went 30,000 feet over your head. It's okay. Listen. The truth of God's revelation must overshadow our inability at human, in human reason. The word of God is clear that those who refuse God's redemption and salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord will receive the wrath of God. So while God desires for all men to be saved, the reality according to scripture is that not all men will be saved. And the word of God is very clear upon that, that they will receive the wrath of God. This wrath is holy and just because of their rebellious refusal to surrender their life to his grace. But we also must admit that there are some who God knows personally and intimately and has chosen within his sovereign will. We must admit that according to the text of the scripture. So we wrestle with these realities. And the answer is that God desires all to be saved. But the testimony of scripture is that not all will be be saved through the reception of Jesus Christ, God's Savior. Therefore, we can say with firm confidence that Christ's death was sufficient for all sinners. But it is efficient to those that believe. It is Christ's death on the cross at Calvary. It's sufficient to save any and all sinners. There's not a sinner who Christ's blood cannot redeem. But listen, there are sinners who have rejected and reviled the gospel, who have walked away, and therefore they are under the wrath of God for all of eternity. 
The reality is the blood of Christ is sufficient for all sinners, but it is efficient to the sinners that will repent and believe by faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Jesus going up to Jerusalem to die for, the, for our sins according to the predetermined plan of God cried out, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those, those sent her, to her. How often I, want to, I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Here is God in human flesh crying out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I desire for you to be saved. I've offered you, offered you the safety and security of God's salvation and you would not have it. You wouldn't listen, you wouldn't repent, you wouldn't turn and receive me as your Savior. See, Paul's concern in this text was to counter the Jew who said that God wishes to destroy sinners. No, God wishes to save sinners. He's also attacking the underlying thought, the spiritually proud who said that salvation is only for the elite. No, salvation is for all. Salvation is for all indiscriminate of race, income, background, doesn't matter. Listen, salvation flows from God's throne to all. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we see Paul's heart begin uh, to be aligned with God's heart when he says, I'm telling the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Listen, when was the last time you were so concerned about a friend or a family member that you wished that God would accurse you, he would cast you into hell so that they might be saved? See, that's when Paul has become, his heart and his mind has been unified with God. He desires so greatly for the salvation of God to extend to those around him. He wished he himself could be accursed so that they could receive the gospel. Chapter 10, verse 1 of Romans. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. His heart became in line with God's heart. It changed him. Listen, the greatest desire for our children, for our family and our friends should not just be a successful life with lots of stuff. Our greatest concern for our children, for those precious little children that God has entrusted to our care, should not be for them to be successful according to this world and to gain lots of stuff within this world. Our greatest desire should be the salvation of their souls. Hope you do well at college. I pray that you are greatly blessed. That God increases you. But I pray most of all that you would come to the realization you are a sinner who needs a Savior named Jesus Christ. Indeed, we ought to weep for those who do not know Jesus. It ought to be the greatest desire of our heart to be in line with the desire of God's heart for all to be saved. And finally, here in verses 5 through 7, we close as we see our message is to be in line with God's provision. Our message is to be in line with God's provision. Paul launches into a politically incorrect creed that was held within the early church. See, he doesn't say all the roads lead up to the mountains of the same place. 
He doesn't say all the roads lead to the same God. He's not saying here that there are many ways to God. He's not saying that all religions are the same as we hear on Oprah and all the talk shows of our day. He's saying here the the exact opposite. He's saying there's only one way of salvation, one hope for man, and that hope is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Indeed, the great football coach Vince Lombardi stood in front of his team, the Green Bay Packers, after a horrendous loss which I predict they will experience again tonight, but that's okay. The players are expected a long diatribe, a strong diatribe, teaching them, taking them back, and telling them how to play football. But instead, Coach Lombardi walked up to the middle of the room. He took a football, and he held it up, and he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. He went back to the basics, and he started from scratch. He said, Here. We don't need to go into running plays. You need to know this is a football. Paul says, you need to understand salvation. And here's salvation. There is one God, one mediator, also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The declaration of the exclusivity of God and Christ in the basic, in the basic message of Christian salvation is essential, yet it is a point on which many people have stumbled. Even those that agree there is one God often refuse the claim of Jesus as the only way to knowing God. Here Paul makes plain the promise of salvation, the promise of the one true and perfect provision of salvation from the one triune God, eternal and indivisible in nature, existing perpetually in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Indeed, is one God working for the salvation of many people. Although there are many different forms of pe- uh, different types of people and men, there is only one true and living God for all men, and He has provided only one way of salvation. That one way of salvation involves a mediator by the name of Jesus Christ, God's own Son. In order for God to, uh, holy God, to be reconciled to sinful man, man had to pay the price for his sin. And And the price of sin is death. For indeed it is written the wages of sin is death. But God provided a representative man to be a substitute for all other men. Through his death, he became the ransom, the one who paid the price to release us from bondage to sin and judgment. The ransom is sufficient.